I want to look tonight at part two of the message that I started last Sunday. I don't want to say this is a recommendation, but if you were ever tuning in just on a Tuesday night, you can tune in and check out the previous messages either in the archive on Facebook or on YouTube. You can check it out as well. But I want to look at part two tonight of what I'm calling the rest of your life. I want to briefly recap, and that is, I want us to think for a minute about what our lives are going to look like in the next few weeks and the next few months. As I said on Sunday, many analysts are saying that we will be looking at the world and talking about the world in pre-COVID and post-COVID terms. There will be the normal that was, and then there will be the new normal world. And in the middle of all of this, there is what we might call a hiatus, an opportunity, a changing of the guard, the beginning, if you will, of the rest of our lives. And I want to ask you tonight, what will the rest of your life look like? And the point I made on Sunday was this, that the rest of your life can be a life of rest. When we trust in the promises of God, when we believe his promises for us, for today, we can live a restful life. A life that is free from stress and striving and chasing and running and pursuing and is a life in which God is the, is the one who takes on our burdens, the one who takes on the things that we carry instead. We looked on Sunday at the Sabbath, the Old Testament instruction from the Sabbath, about the Sabbath from Exodus chapter 20. I was referring to it as being God's gift. It was God's gift to mankind. In the middle of all of this law, he said, you must take a day off. And the purpose of that day off was to remember, was to reset, was to reflect, was to take the time to pause and think again about the life that God has given you. He, was, he reminded them in, in, in the passage in Deuteronomy, he reminds them, he says, remember the Sabbath day, but don't forget this, he says. Here is from, here is from Exodus 20. The seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work and in the Deuteronomy passage about this same commandment the fourth commandment he says remember you were slaves in Egypt you were slaves you were under the lash you were under the whip you were forced to work every single day no days off during slavery in Egypt and you know for many of us brothers and sisters there is just waiting in the wings the opportunity for us to be back under the lash again for us to be slaves again to all the busyness and the bustle and the hassle and the stress of life he gave them an instruction that they were to rest one day a week several times during the year they were to take an entire week off and then once every seven years the land itself was to be allowed to rest he gave them the test of rest in Leviticus chapter 25, in 20 to 22, we looked at them. And in it, the Lord said, during the, sixth, during the seventh year, you are not to sow or reap, but you're to let the land rest. And during that period of rest, you will be able to live on the blessing that I pour into you in the sixth year, which will last until the ninth year. So that we're going to get three years supply in one year's harvest. And the point they made was that God was giving them this offer. He was saying to them, if you 
let the land rest, I look after you. If you trust me, I look after you. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, remember it's the Lord your God who's brought you out of slavery. Remember it's the Lord your God who's given you everything. He's given you the ability to make the wealth that you make. He's given you the ability to earn your living. Don't forget that he is the provider of everything that you have. And of course we realised as we were reading that, that towards the end of the, New Testament, of the Old Testament, my apologies, before we get to the New Testament, where the children of Israel continually broke the Sabbath rule, and it was the Sabbath rule that particularly was brought to their attention in Isaiah 58 and in 2 Chronicles 36, when they were captured, when they were taken off, to Babylon. Before the catastrophe of the captivity in Babylon happened to them, it was the Sabbath. The Lord said to them, if you had only obeyed my Sabbath, if you had just taken the day off, if you had allowed your body and your soul to rest and reflect and reset, none of this would have happened. And of course, we realized that it was all just a shadow. It was just a shadow. What happened in the Old Testament, as, as one person put it, the, Old, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed and the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. We realize that the Sabbath rest that they were promising is fulfilled in the New Testament in Jesus Christ. The one who bears our burden. The one who physically, literally bore our burden at Calvary. And it's back to that I want to begin tonight proper. Remember we said that the Sabbath rest in the New Testament is not in a place. And it's not in a practice. It's in a person. It's in Jesus Christ himself. You see, that rest that, that they, were, they were supposed to get was never going to come from a philosophy or even a form of morality or a way of living or religious observance. It was only ever going to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's where I want to start tonight. And I read these verses on Sunday, but I want to reflect on them just for one second because there's an important nugget right in the middle of it all. Here's what Jesus says. May God bless his word as we read it. We're reading in Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What an incredible offer. What an incredible offer to be made. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened. I don't know about you, but I become weary, and I become burdened, carrying burdens and, and wearisome things that I was never intended to carry, that God never intended us to carry. He says, I will give you rest. He goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, in the middle of this, in the middle of this verse, there's a, there's a little catch, and he, he, here's the piece at the end that Jesus says. He says, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, the people who listened to this knew what a yoke was. You probably know what a yoke was. It's not the yoke of an egg that you dip your toast into in the morning. It is the yoke that would bind two oxen together, or two working animals together. Or it would be on the shoulder of one working animal, and then he'd be used to lift, carry, or drag a plough or some such thing on the land. And here's the thing. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, it sounds like Jesus is saying, hang on a minute, lay down that burden, but take up my burden. It's interesting that Jesus is saying to them, you know, you, you, you're carrying this heavy yoke and burden on your shoulders. I want you to put that burden of, of down and I want you to pick up mine. So in some senses, is Jesus asking them to work? Is he saying to them, come to me so that you can do more work? Is that, is, is, is that what he's saying here? Because that is one of the implications we come to. Yes, the yoke might be easy and the burden might be light, but it's still a yoke and it's still a burden. Jesus was asking them, in a sense, to change 
burdens, change yokes. And that's what we need to do. Jesus said, come to me and learn from me. Live the way that I lived. How did he live? When you read the stories of Jesus, when you read the Gospels and read the stories, you see that he seemed to live in a carefree manner. He was completely confident of God's provision in his life. He was so confident of God's provision in his life that he was able to provide for thousands and thousands and thousands of others miraculously. He was so confident that is the way he lived. He lived in complete trust in his father in heaven right to the point of going to the cross remember in gethsemane jesus prayed if it is possible father in heaven let this burden or let this cup pass from me but let your will be done not mine that was some level of trust as he bore the burden your burden he bore my burden but jesus was asking them to do work he was asking them to do something. Now, before we get to the, uh, to the work that he was asking them to do, it's interesting to see that when they came to Jesus, because of who he is, because Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth, he died and rose again. He is Lord, authority over all things. He, he was the person that they were coming to. When they came to Jesus, he didn't say to them, come to me and I will give you 10 sure win strategies for busting your wardens. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say, I will give you five keys to ending weariness or three surefire certain steps to soul rest. Or he didn't say anything like that. Nor more importantly did he say, come to me with your burden no, and then the minute you've handed it over to me, go back to all the stress and the strain and the hurry. He gave them work. But what was the work he wanted them to do? Here's the work that he wanted them to do. Eshtigi, are you listening? He gave them work. John's Gospel, chapter 6. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. That was the work. Believe in the one that he has sent. Just like that. So easy. Just believe. That's all you have to do. And it sounds so easy. In actual fact, it looks so easy. You really go, this is the only work God wants from you, to believe in the one that he has sent. But you know what? That's so easy in contemplation, but it's actually hard in execution. It's one of those things that you go, it's so easy to lay down our burdens at Jesus' feet. It is. It is so easy to go to Jesus and receive rest. Yes, we know that. And yet when it comes to executing, when it comes to actually doing it, it can turn out to be really hard. Because for whatever reason, and this is the human condition, brothers and sisters. For whatever reason, we seem to want to take the burdens back. We seem to be almost going, Lord, I'll give you the burdens today, but the minute I'm strong enough, I'll take them back. Or the minute I'm able, the minute I feel refreshed, I'm going to be refreshed enough to get weary again. Because human self-sufficiency is in our DNA. It's in the way that we think. We are proud. I admit it. I'm proud. I know most people have pride in their souls. We're proud. We want to be able to do it ourselves. We want to say, no, I've done this myself. It's in the human condition. It's always been in the human condition. We want to say that we are responsible for our own destiny and for our own futures. Can I tell you this? Until we admit that we are dependent creatures, we will never know the peace and the provision of God in our lives. As long as our shoulders are back and our chest is out in pride, we will never, 
ever know the peace of God in our lives. What does Peter say? He says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself under God's mighty hand and in due time, he will lift you up. But it takes humility to lay it down. And it's not something that necessarily comes that easily. Because in theory, believing seems easy. But in practice, because of the way we're wired, because of the human nature that we have, it can be very hard to actually do in reality. In reality, it can be very hard. In actual fact, this promise that Jesus gives, it's actually quite an old promise. It's not even a new promise. The promise is there in the Old Testament. It's already laid out to the Israelites so often, so many times. Here is what it is. Here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 30. He says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. The Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Hallelujah. In repentance and turning back. And in resting, that's where the salvation is. In resting and trusting in God, that's where the salvation is. And he says, and that's, he says, in the quietness, in being quiet and in trusting in God, that's where your strength is. And what is the reflective tone of Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 15? He says, but you would have none of it. You'd have none of it. And so he kept on appealing through the prophets and he said, come back to me, trust in me, rest in me, come back to me, trust in me, rest in me. He said it in Jeremiah. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 6 verse 16, he says, go to the crossroads and stand and look. Ask where the old godly way is. Walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Hallelujah. But then he says, but you said, that's not the road we want at all. Literally, that's not the road we want. We didn't, they didn't want the rest that God was offering them. They wanted to do it their way. They wanted to do it the Frank Sinatra, my way. That's how they wanted to do it. And so they missed it. They missed the opportunity of experiencing all that God had planned for them. We see it as it's building up. They go in and they take the promised land. And even though they take the promised land, they still miss it. And so I want to go to Hebrews chapter 4. And in Hebrews chapter 4, Paul, who's writing to the Jewish Christians, he's writing to them about how their forefathers kind of failed. They failed. It says, you know, today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart like they did in the wilderness. They failed. They missed it. They missed to experience the pure blessing and rest and provision and protection of God. They missed it. And this is why they missed it. Here's what Paul writes them. He says, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. Would anyone say amen? That promise of rest, it still stands. Hallelujah. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. We should tremble with fear that we might fail to experience God's true rest in our lives. Rest for our minds, rest for our hearts, rest for our souls, rest for our bodies, rest about our present and about our future. He said, for this good news that God has prepared, this rest has been announced to us just as it was announced to them. And here is the key, it says. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For it is only we who believe can enter his rest. They didn't share the faith of those who believed. 
There's a fabulous big long Greek word in the middle of there that I'm not even going to try and pronounce. But the word basically means to mix. They didn't mix it with faith. When they heard the word, they didn't mix it with faith. They heard God's words clearly enough, like we hear God's words clearly enough. When we hear, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. We hear those words, but we must mix them with faith. The Bible commentator Adam Clark uses a great illustration. He said what's being used here is a metaphor. It's a Hebrew metaphor, and it means to chew. It means to take something in. In other words, it means to chew your food. So when you chew your food, you put into it enzymes, and then it goes down into your system, and your saliva mixed with it, and your gastric juices. Don't have to paint the picture for you, but you get the idea. And it is because you mix it with these things that your food becomes beneficial. Otherwise, it's just in through one door and out the next. But it's when you chew it, when you digest it, when you savour it, when you flavour it, when you take in the taste. That's what he's referring to here. He's saying it's only those who believe will enter the rest. We must be a people who believe. What does that mean? Well, let's have a look and see what it says. It says, so there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God, for all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labours just as God did after he created the world. So just as God did, we can rest just as God did. What does the scripture say? The scripture says that God saw all that he made and it was good. It was why God created the Sabbath to reflect the fact that he rested after his labors of creation were done. We enter into that same rest of seeing that God's work is good. We enter into the same rest. What is the rest of God? What is it? God's rest is, is rest for our minds. It's rest for our souls. It's rest for our bodies. It is rest and peace with God himself. It is freedom from the slavery to busyness and the slavery to self-sufficiency. Because that's the slavery we go into. And he's, he's making an allusion here. He's making an allusion to the land that they entered. He's also making an allusion towards heaven. But he's also talking about it for no. And so he finishes off by saying this. He says, so let's do our best to enter that rest. Let's do everything we can. As one commentator said, just on, one, uh, uh, on, on Facebook today, I just saw somebody saying, that is a promise worth striving for. Let's strive to get into that rest. It seems kind of contradictory that you must spend all of your energy to make sure you get into that rest. Why? Because we must do it on a daily basis. Because to experience that rest, it must happen to us Every day, every day we must be reminding ourselves of God's good promises for our lives. And if we do that, if we remind ourselves of God's good promises, if we remind ourselves of his, of his provision for our lives, if we remind ourselves that he is the one who actually can take our burdens, then we will, get, we will know that rest. We will begin to walk in that rest for ourselves. Here's what Peter says. I'm coming to a close. I'm nearly done. Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 5 verse 7. You're probably very familiar with this verse. But here's what it says. It says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Would anyone say amen? He cares about you. If you're tuning in here tonight, I want to tell you this. God cares about you. 
He cares about your cares. He con he's concerned about your concerns. He wants you to give your anxieties. He wants you to give your worries. He wants you to hand them over to him. And you need to do that. We need to do that daily, even hourly. And then we'll begin to walk in the rest. You know, when I read the words of Jesus, when he says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm immediately refreshed by those words. I'm immediately refreshed. And I say, yes, Lord, you bear my burdens. And then I go off into the business of my day and I forget about those words. And then maybe a couple of months later, I might read them again in devotion and then I'm reminded and I go, how could I forget so quickly? What's even worse is that we make we take our burdens and we make boomerangs out of them. We take a, we take a, bur a burden and we bend it so that it turns into a boomerang. And then we cast the care on the Lord. And then we wait and bang, we're hit right in the head by the same burden comes back. Because we've almost made it in such a way that it will come back to us. We can only know that freedom is if we pick that burden up again, straighten it a little bit more. And send it back to Jesus. Send it back. Cast your care back on him. And then we'll begin to know God's rest for the rest of our lives. I want to look at another promise from Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah 64, 4. It says this. For since the world began, no ear has heard, no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. They work for those. He works for those who wait for him. Imagine that. Imagine that God is working on your behalf. And even now God is working on your behalf. For many of us some of our biggest prayers have to do with provision. It's just the nature of life. If you look at the Old Testament so many of the prayers were about provision. They were about giving thanks to God for his blessing, for filling barns and homes and giving us children and so on and so forth. God's provision is one of his most visible and obvious blessings in our lives. You know, Paul says in Philippians chapter four, he says, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches, which are in Christ Jesus. My God can meet all your needs. He doesn't say can, he says will meet all of your needs. And whatever your needs are tonight, can I speak to you straight up? If you need a job, my God can provide all your needs. If you are longing for a life partner with whom you can build a life, a Christian person with whom you can combine and build a life together, I want to say to you tonight, have faith in God. Trust him. He is way, he's working for you as you wait for him. God will provide all of your needs. I don't want to keep you too much longer. But I want to remind you of where we started. And that is this. You are able to experience rest for the rest of your life. Not in the lazy sense, not in the do-nothing sense, not in the retirement sense. But you can experience true and deep rest. But that rest is easy in contemplation but harder in execution. It involves coming every day to the same place. It involves coming every day and sometimes laying the same burden down again and again and again. Sometimes it involves casting the same burden again, again and again. It involves taking the same cares, bending the boomerang out of them and sending them back. 
to Jesus day after day. And if you do that, you can know what a life of rest is like. And I want to pray as we close tonight. I'm going to ask you, if you have a need tonight, if you have a burden that's on your heart or on your mind tonight, maybe it's an anxiety about your health, maybe it's an anxiety about your welfare, whether that's your financial or your physical welfare, maybe it's relational, maybe it's spiritual. I don't know what form your burdens are. I know what my burdens are. But I know this, I can't carry them. I want to take them to the one who's already carried it all. I want to read a small piece from a book by a guy called uh, Merton. Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton was a, a Christian who gave up a fantastic job. He gave up a fantastic life uh, to become uh, a Christian. He became an ascetic, or not an ascetic, he became a, a monastic. He, he actually joined a monastery and he became a Christian. He gave up his life. And he wrote this in a book called Run to the Mountain. He wrote it in 1996. And he talks about the way that we carry our burdens so often. And the things that we try and fill this void in our souls instead of going to Jesus. And he says this. He says, and to try to be happy by being admired by men or loved by women or warm with liquor or full of lust or getting possessions and treasures that turns you away soon from the love of God. And then men, women... Drink and lust and greed take precedent over God. And they darken his light. And then we are unhappy and afraid and angry and fierce and impatient. And we can't pray and we can't sit still. This, he says, is the bitter yoke of sin. And for this, we leave the mild and easy yoke of Christ. Yes, we do it so often. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you've borne our burdens. You've borne the burden of sin to Calvary, Lord. And all of our efforts at self-sufficient, all of our pride, all of our leaning on our own understanding and leaning on our own abilities, Lord, it just pushes us further and further away from the joy and the peace and the rest that we can know in you. Lord, may we take on that work. The only work God asks of us, Jesus said, is that we believe in the one that he has sent. Lord, I pray that in the coming and goings of our days, we would really believe what you say about our lives. That we would enter that rest. That we wouldn't fall short of it. That we wouldn't hear the promises of God and let them bounce off us, Lord, like rain bouncing off a corrugated roof. Lord, I pray that though they would soak into our souls, they would soak into our minds, they would soak in and become very much part of who we are. Lord, we bring you again our burdens and our cares. Each one's cares will be individual to them. Each one's burdens will be individual to them. But we know this, Lord. When we trust in you, you work for us as we wait on you. Lord, your people are waiting. We give ourselves over to you, Lord. We give our burdens over to you. Lord, we pray that we would know the deep restfulness soaking in to our bones, into our marrow, into our souls. I pray that we would be the restful people who represent you and your promises and your word well. Bless us as we go into this week, Lord. I pray we would see miracle breakthroughs. I pray, Lord, we would see surprising abundance. Lord, I pray that we would be ambushed by your goodness in this coming week. In Jesus' mighty name and God's people said, Amen. Amen.